This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And welcome back to our, at this point, biannual podcast. Fuck. We, we're getting back into the swing of things. I apologize for uh, the lack of update over the last few months. It's been a busy and weird time. Listen, but, uh, the thing about us being um, working actors is um, sometimes... Uh, one of us gets in a show, sometimes one of us uh, is taking a bunch of stage combat classes and has to be certified in every form of stage Oops. martial art available. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not being shady. I'm genuinely like, yeah, that's impressive, the amount of material you've gone through, Chris. I've, so. it, my brain is so full of knives. Um, <laughs> but we're jumping back in. Last time we spoke to you, which was a while ago, uh, we did Dylan's sort of backlog of like here are the games that kind of turned Dylan into the the consumer of games and consumer of yeah, the Christ. I was trying so hard to avoid that, but well, here the we only are. way you can really mention it is if you lean super hard into the bit. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, and we'll do mine probably next time. I'd like to do that soon. Yeah, in two weeks, uh, got, right? Yeah, two, two weeks. weeks from now. Yeah. Two weeks. Two weeks two weeks anyway uh but today i had a topic sort of just hit me over the head i guess is the best way of putting it and i wanted to talk a little bit about and like this isn't a topic where i've got like a strong thesis but this is more of like a prompt for dylan and i to discuss uh and for you to engage with us and give us your thoughts on social media which dylan will tell you about at the end of the program it's true um calls to action <laughs> but i I was seeing a lot of hubbub on social media, on Twitter in particular, uh, surrounding the new Cyberpunk 2077 TV show that has been uh, put out by Netflix, I want to say. Cyberpunk Edge yes, Runners. Uh, it was put out by yeah, Netflix, it was a Netflix, animated anime. by Studio Trigger. Okay, it, it was studio. I I didn't watch it yet, but like looking at all the footage, I was like, this looks a lot it's, like studio it's a very trigger, trigger anime. <laughs> incredibly trigger vibes. Yeah. Um, but I was seeing a lot of buzz around this show, and a lot of people saying that it's very good. And I there are, among those people are a lot of people who I you know tend to respect and agree with a lot of their opinions on media. I just haven't watched it yet. But in no probably uh going along with exactly what. CD Projekt Red and the other people who are financially invested in cyberpunk as a piece of media uh, had hoped for, this show seemed to also drive a resurgence of interest in the cyberpunk game, Cyberpunk 2077, which came out, was that 2020? Oh, God. Might have even been 2019, I feel like. Yep, December 10, 2020. Oh, wow, okay, that was way later than I thought. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was 2020 or 2021. But yeah, so Cyberpunk 2077 came out in, in late 2020. 
And a lot of people are are getting real big into it. It was like at one point re- pretty recently, it was like the most played game on Steam because of the popularity of Cyberpunk Edge Runners. And this was wild to me because the last time I remembered anyone talking about this game was right after it came out and people were just aghast at how unfinished it was in its initial release. Mm-hmm. Like, this game had one of the rockiest launches that I can remember, honestly. Very No Man's Sky, I feel like. I feel like yeah, that's but probably like, the most comparable thing. It's it's comparable to No Man's Sky, but, like, No Man's Sky got backlash for not being what people expected or what people thought it was being advertised as. Right. Cyberpunk 2077 got backlash for being, like, depending on what system you bought the game for, nigh on unplayable yeah. <laughs> at launch. Uh, and this was not helped by the fact that there was a lot of press at the time around, like, crunch in game development and Cyber and, and CD Projekt Red had a less than stellar reputation in that regard. And just, like, it was, it was not a good launch. And so seeing it suddenly being lauded across social media really kind of just, like, hit, hit me in the head weird yeah Um, no that's fair (laughs) that makes sense and then in the same like social media moment i came across i just happened across a tweet from the developer of the indie game unpacking which came out earlier this year unpacking if you haven't played it is absolutely delightful i highly highly recommend playing it it's like a three to four hour game depending on how uh how quickly you get through it in which you just unpack boxes and put stuff away in different rooms and homes uh and i bought it because it looked like a delightful like the aesthetic seemed appealing and it looked like a nice chill way to play like a nice chill like you know light indie game to play between other things and then it made me feel really hard uh (laughs) i don't want to say any more than that because i really like genuinely i want people to play unpacking and I want them to go in as fresh as possible. And I'm not going to go into details on this, but Unpacking was, uh, was nominated for a, uh, an Indiecade award. And in the replies to the tweet they put out on their official Twitter account announcing this, somebody asked, uh, will we ever get DLC or even a follow-up game? I love the game, but it feels awfully short. I wish I could have more levels uh, or rooms, I guess. And the Unpacking account responded to that tweet saying, and this is a quote from their Twitter, so glad you enjoyed it. We consider the game a complete story, which is why it took so long, parenthetical, 3.5 years to make, as we didn't want to cut anything. And seeing that tweet in the same social media moment as everyone, like, again, I didn't play the game, I'm not, like, a cyberpunk hater, but just, like, what seemed like a lot of very revisionist history around this game having always been good. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, that, that I, I, stuck with me. I'm of two minds on this, but I'm, I'm going to get through the introduction. Like you're for sure, yeah. Like that is really the introduction. I it, it made me start thinking about like, okay, what makes a game finished? What do we consider a finished game? What do we like? If I'm if I'm looking to critique a game, at what point in time after it is released is it okay for me to do that? Like okay for me like someone's gonna tell me i'm i'm critiquing wrong like but you know what i mean like yeah yeah there is there is an interesting thing in the way that so many games have become kind of living continuously updated pieces of media that it draws an interesting line of like okay 
what version of a game do we talk about? Uh, and now I'm done with my long intro spiel. What were you going to say, Dylan? Um, yeah, so I guess the interesting thing about uh, Cyberpunk 2077 um, is that <laughs> I, I've talked to people who played it close to when it launched on hardware that was better than, you know, PS4, Xbox yeah. uh, One. And, P- and those me. were the cons- those were the systems where it really chugged. At yeah, large. it was really suffering because it was just not made f- with that hardware in mind. Um, so, which you know, maybe maybe don't it. release it on that hardware, right? Like they, <laughs> I think they tried backporting it, and from the sound of things, it only split the team up more than it should have. So, you know, those were hands that could have maybe polished you know i i yeah did not follow the development of this yeah, game and, super and closely so at, as we've said many times on the show neither of us are game devs so like this is you know take our our thoughts on the specifics of game development with as many grains of salt as you can yeah, carry this is but, speculative purely but yeah so uh, i mean i i've i've talked to a friend who who played the game and i i've, I've seen a couple video essays by people who played the game and enjoyed it and the the it kind of seemed to boil down to despite the glitches and some of the half-baked consideration in um game design like the setting is great it's pretty well realized and the story uh is pretty good and i guess if that's what you're looking for in the game then if it hits all those marks then i guess you could with a heavy question mark argue that uh cyberpunk 2077 was always good yeah. However, <laughs> um, I feel like that's kind of overlooking a bunch of elephants in the room. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> An entire circus worth. Yeah, uh, <laughs> actually, that's a good way to put it. Um, but I, I can definitely understand why someone would walk away from that game not regretting their purchase and even enjoying the time they've spent in it. Like, I've, I've heard the oh, writing's sure. actually, like, super solid, and, you know, I don't want to completely poo-poo this game I haven't played, so... Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I have not played the game. Mm-hmm. I'm not... This is not me trying to, like, shit on a game I haven't played. But it it's more... It was the... the Again, from my perspective, like, complete... Revisionist history. <laughs> Even if we're not going to call it revisionist history, even if a lot of it is people who, you know, had it been released in a finished state would have liked it the whole time. The like the degree to which the public opinion on mass seemed mm-hmm. to just completely 180 from the position it had been in when the game released was really striking. <laughs> well, see, um, Chris, here, here's the thing they CG uh, Project Red. They got the weebs on board. And the oh, weebs that's will it. stand anything. <laughs> yeah, no, weebs have no taste, and I count myself among them. <laughs> this is just like oh, the that's anime. Funny. That's funny. <laughs> but one of the things that I, I was talking about this this topic uh, with my wife before we recorded, she, she asked what we were talking about this week, and something that came up as I was discussing it with her is like this sort of ongoing relationship that so many games have now this ongoing like you know dlcs and balance patches and and Mm -hmm. and system updates and whatever it is isn't not kind of analogous to the relationship that like people can have with a a play like yeah the way that a a play is the script but like you can see productions of a play that work or don't work to different degrees and as a play exists as you know this is true of 
not just plays, but any piece of media, as it exists in the world and culture changes around it, opinion of it can change. There are pieces of media that, like, you know, by the standards in w- of the time in which they were written, were probably quite progressive and are, but are simultaneously uh, pretty bad looking mm-hmm. at them from a mo- through a modern lens. And, like, that all factors in to some degree. But nobody's releasing DLC for Mark Twain's works. <laughs> Could you imagine, though? <laughs> All right, y'all. This is my Huckleberry's Finn speed run. I've unlocked some <laughs> new strats. Any percent Huck Finn. So, listen. This is my glitchless Mary Shelley full bibliography run. Listen, so the only thing you really need to do to get to the end of Huckleberry Finn is, uh, actually, I don't remember how Huckleberry Finn ends. <laughs> Oh I was gonna, make, I I was gonna be like, yeah, you just so gotta long. ensure that Jim goes free, and I'm like, does that is that how Huckleberry Finn ends? I hope it is. Why? Am, the thing that just jumped into my head is you have to make sure you join the circus early enough, and I don't think that's how Huckleberry Finn ends either. Huckleberry, hi, this is backstage book reading. Uh, yeah. We're here to talk about <laughs> Huckleberry the Finn for a really long time. Oh my <laughs> this god, this is a dumb bit. We should actually start talking about. <laughs> The topic you chose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we move away from cyberpunk, and I, there, I know there's something you wanted to talk about, Dylan. One thing that I realized in, again, can't speak very much to cyberpunk specifically, haven't played it. But it is hilarious how much this sort of revisionism, and like not as much revisionist history, but like how much what version of the thing you're talking about cyberpunk has in common with its grandpappy Blade Runner. Oh my god. <laughs> Blade Runner. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. If you have not seen Blade Runner, you should watch it. It's a very good movie. I've been meaning but to. I've never... You should watch the director's cut. I was about to say, is the director's cut readily available on streaming The director's services? cut is the most readily available version, because cool. it's the version that's good. Uh, okay. I hear so, there's like a, like two post-director's cut cuts. Are those better I, I don't or know worse? that I've seen those. I... Like, they might be good, they might not. I think that a lot of... When you get into the post-director's cut versions, I think you're getting into a little bit of, like, the Ridley Scott going back and kind of George Lucasing a little mm, bit. Gotcha. Um, whereas the original director's cut was just Ridley Scott going in and taking out a lot of the stuff that the studio mandated be put into the movie. Right. Uh, like, in the original theatrical release of Blade Runner, it's underscored by, like, There's Harrison Ford, logs, God right? bless him, Harrison Ford delivering the most bored voice, like, noir voiceover that anyone has ever done. Just, like, did not want to be in the recording booth, did not want to be adding this voiceover to this movie. Mm-hmm. It it grinds the pacing of the film to a halt. There's a few scenes that are different, and there's some scenes that are omitted that, like, muddy the conclusion of the film. Mm. The theatrical release of Blade Runner is a mess. Like, it it just is. The director's cut is really good and like the the changes that Ridley Scott was able to go in and make genuinely like change the movie in an incredibly significant way for the better. I know and, my dad has a copy of it on VHS. Uh I've kind of been holding off on that cuz I'm like yeah. there's got to be a better way to watch this movie. <laughs> there must there must be a better way. <laughs> I just uh, haven't gotten out and gotten the Blu-ray or anything. Yeah. But like it's it is there, I don't really have a point here uh, other than to say, like, 
again, I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again. The, cyberpunk is and video games in general are not unique in having this sort of revisionism and having this ability to be updated and to have the opinion change based on like, you know, whether it's a director's cut or like a republished edition with a new author's note or whatever. Like there's ways for other media to do this. It's just hilarious to me that one of the most famous versions from film is fucking Blade Runner when then now we have this cyberpunk 2077 nonsense. Yeah, that's pretty. Um I guess you could say revisionism is cyberpunk as hell. <laughs> I I brought this up with you, Dylan, and you mentioned uh, having opinions rooted in, uh, I think you said mid 2000s Square Enix, and yeah, I'm so, so desperately curious. I guess yeah, we can we I've can hop straight into books. that if you if you, uh, we don't really have much to say about uh, cyberpunk specifically. Yeah, like again, I I don't have much to say about cyberpunk other than it being the springboard because I haven't played the game. Okay, so like I, I do want to go back to unpacking though because that sounds interesting. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we can talk around spoilers, obviously, but um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, the, the thing that I think of when I think of unfinished games, I, th I think of two Square Enix titles in particular. I think of Xenogears, which released in the US in 1998, and I think of Final Fantasy XII, which released in 2006. Um, I could also point to Vagrant Story, but I think Final Fantasy XII, um, works a little bit better because I have more to say about it. Um, <laughs> so... It's funny because, like, uh, Xenogears and Final Fantasy XII have, like, opposite problems. Like, they both were kind of rushed to market before they were quite as done as the creators wanted them to be. But um, Xenogears' story, like, with Xenogears, the weird issue is that Disc 1 is, like, perfectly finished. And Disc 2 is, like, a bunch of cutscenes where, like... So they, they ran out of time and funding for the game. So after disc one, you put in disc two, and most of the story is narrated to you by two of the main characters in, like, interviewer chairs. Like, they're just kind of monologuing about, like, all the game that, like, they had to be cut. And then, like, you will occasionally play, like, a section of a dungeon or see a cutscene rendered in this environment that they had completed. So it's like you have the full story, but they ran out of game. <laughs> huh. <laughs> um, and, you know, this being 1998 and the game being made for the PS1, there's no real way to edit that. Like, that that's the game. That's that's what you're getting. Um, right. But, you know, people love Xenogears. It's like a huge cult classic from that era because the story and the writing is just that good. I have no personal opinion of that because I could never get through disc one of Xenogears. <laughs> I think the writing's good. I just hate how that game is structured, but that's a that's another conversation. But I think it would be a good one. Let's let's put a little bullet point in that. How game yeah. structure uh can make or break a story for some people. Me. Gonna drop gonna drop a note in our message on Facebook. Nice, nice. Final Fantasy XII has the opposite problem where there is a lot of game. But around the halfway mark of Final Fantasy XII, uh, there's just no story anymore. <laughs> mm. um, where, like, obviously, there's an ending cutscene. Like, you have, um, there's cutscenes that tell you, like, why you're going to the place you're going. And there's story for, like, you know, here's what happens after you finish this dungeon. Uh, but, like, it's very few and far between. Like, the game gets incredibly spread out. They have you travel basically the entire length of the game world 
it's it's cool because like there's a lot of like new places you're exploring and like some fun terrain puzzles stuff like that but like there's not really a whole lot going on in terms of like drama or uh you know there, there's not a lot of plot momentum i guess right you know again final fantasy 12 was released for the ps2 unlike xenogears final fantasy 12 has the benefit of multiple re-releases because it is a final fantasy game and all those games get revisions and re-releases right <laughs> um but like you know the the big revision to final fantasy 12 wasn't with that incompleteness it was a restructuring of the game's character progression systems so how you level up how like what abilities characters can learn stuff like that um which does effectively change it into a different game mechanically but like it still has that same feeling of incompleteness to it gotcha and i guess it's interesting because uh xenogears the game just kind of stops but it it has it because it takes the time to explain everything that's going on with the interpersonal drama of the characters and like the plot and the lore and all that stuff um xenogears also had like an art book uh in Ultimania, which is uh, basically Square Enix for this is an encyclopedia on the game <laughs> that uh, details um, some cu- uh, either cut concepts or just documents about like the planning phases. And it's it's behind the scenes Beh- stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you get like a little bit more of a fuller picture there. Um, and that's also where people learned that Xenogears was supposed to be part four of a six part <laughs> series in the same vein as Star Wars. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> so there, there's this kind of resignation and acceptance, I guess, with Xenogears, where it's like considered because it, it has like all these things, like people are just kind of willing to meet it where it stands. Almost, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Uh Final Fantasy 12 doesn't quite have the same luxury where um you know, whenever you see, maybe not a fan of the game, but a fan of the series talk about Final Fantasy XII, if they're talking about it positively, they'll say, man, everything about this game was so good except the story. But it's like, mm. I don't know, man. I feel like that's kind of a reductive way to look at it, because it's like, if we right. can make peace with um, all the cut stuff from Xenogears and, like, you know, make peace with the, the finished product that we got, I think Final Fantasy XII could merit that same courtesy if that makes sense because yeah. i think and this is this is getting a little off topic but final fantasy 12 is one of my favorite games um i mentioned this in the last episode that i hated it when i first played it uh i was supposed to finish that off with then i went back to it and loved it um and that was the apotheosis of the entire story i was trying to tell i fucked that up sorry <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the I really like that we do this show kind of off the cuff a lot of the time. And like I might have a couple of notes, but generally this is like pretty conversational. mm -hmm. But it does mean that sometimes you you, we finish recording and an hour passes and one of us is messaged the other like, fuck, I completely forgot to like finish this point. Right. (laughs) I mean, it is what it is. I I was able to when, when you pitched this episode idea, I was like, all right, it's my time to shine. I can fit this in. I can I can get there. <laughs> I can get there. Um, yeah. So, but I, I think like in its incompleteness, Final Fantasy twelve. For people who don't know, I'm not going to go into a full plot synopsis. I I feel like thematically it is a story about disappointment and about things not going your way, 
And I think, I feel like a lot of Final Fantasy stories, every scene kind of goes, yes, and. There's a lot of scenes in Final Fantasy XII where the, the party is told, no, because. Um, mm. And so a lot of the game is them just kind of going from place to place, looking for a way to solve the problem that they're trying to solve and not being able to do it. <laughs> and I think there's something interesting about that uh, denial. Um, and I, I, I think Final Fantasy XII is kind of a, an anti-story, for lack of a better term. Um, right. it, it is so the, the text is so much more about like the world being greater than the scope of a few chosen people. Right. So I, I think in that way, the emptiness of the second half, the latter half of Final Fantasy 12 kind of works to its favor. Yeah, um, I, mm-hmm. I dig that. I, yeah. I, and I think that your your point to your point about like people saying, you know, I love it, but for the story, mm-hmm. I, I think I want to just specify that like i think it's okay to have that kind of relationship with a piece of media like there's plenty of games that i like except for you know xyz elements of them yeah absolutely i think that's that's pretty normal and and you know a very reasonable way to engage with media that you like because not everything is going to hit on every cylinder yeah but it is interesting to to note that that is like the thing that people who like this game say. And right. I think that your, your, I think that all, all of this stuff you just brought up is, is really interesting. And I like this idea of an anti story. Yeah. I, I guess it's just like, I think, I feel like, I, I guess it's just kind of, it, it's a bummer to me that the conversation kind of begins and ends there. Cause I feel like right. there, there right. is a lot of discussion to be had about like, like, Obviously, the the story being so empty isn't a deliberate choice. Like there, there were there was a troubled development. They did have mm-hmm. to cut some corners to to get it to market, and you know all that stuff. But I I do think that like as it stands, like we can look at it as its own incomplete work and try to tangle something together. Um, and maybe that's just me being too much of a stand for this game. Like I'm not I'm not gonna <laughs> front like. I am biased, obviously. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> but I guess, you know, it's, it's just kind of this thing of like, yes, so this game's incomplete. What can we put into it? Not in a literal, like, material sense, but what can we put into it in, in an intellectual sense? Um, <laughs> to, to be self-aggrandizing. But, you know, like, what, like, we can make something of this. And I think everybody like you know for any game like we have we have the ability and the power to like try to make something out of something that feels incomplete uh, metal gear solid 5 is another good example that game is woefully incomplete um and unlike cyberpunk 2077 um it doesn't really have any dlc or updates uh because the guy who you know that game was his brainchild and he left the company yeah but it's like even though like it's an incomplete game and it, it doesn't quite satisfy. And I personally have trouble playing it just because I find the user interface to be infuriating. <laughs> I still think there's like interesting discussion points about like, like, I guess it's like, I feel like the current gaming discourse is if the game isn't perfect, if the game isn't getting nines or tens, you know, uh, on the, um, yep, med- pick, Metacritic, pick your, pick your, uh, your, game criticism source of of uh of choice yeah (laughs) if if you 
really kind of get all your opinions from Metacritic. Like, what are you actually bringing to the table in the discussion around this game? Because it's like, you don't have to think it's perfect, but I, I feel like you you might have like your own experience that you can bring to the table. And this is, I, this isn't quite the same topic that you originally brought up, Chris, but this has been something that's been weighing on my mind where it's like, that's very fair. And I think that that is worth talking about because like mm. we don't consume media in a vacuum, right? Like, what any one of us likes or doesn't like as far as the media they consume is super heavily influenced by like, stuff that you are bringing from your experiences and your biases and, you know, all of these other things to that session, to that, to that movie theater, to that book, to whatever it is. And it's not, that is something that critics bring to the table. Critics are not unbiased sources of like, this is good or this is not. Right. Uh, they, they try to be at least ones, the ones that I tend to like at least will will do their best to like lay out their biases and make clear what is opinion versus what is like, you know, more analytical and intellectual critique. But like, yeah. you can't divorce yourself from that. We're I, not machines. I think my favorite type of criticism, which is to say the type of critic that I try to be um, whenever I, I, ha I put myself in the critic's seat, um, is I try to take like even if it's something i don't like i try to see i try to see like this is what they were going for i try to make yes. an understanding of like what is trying to be said and then i go into why it doesn't connect or why it doesn't work or why it kind of blows back in their face or you know however you want to yeah. phrase it i I'm, I'm very much in the same boat I've, I've been discussing uh i've been watching some of the new like star wars shows on disney plus mm -hmm. uh and frequently having sort of like quick or sometimes not so quick uh message like text conversations about them with our friend Brennan and generally like sort of airing my grievances as I'm doing this and I I have I do my very best to separate out what is I don't think this worked and what is this isn't how I would have done it mm. because that is also like it's also hard <laughs> An easy line to blur. <laughs> I'm really bad about that. I ain't gonna front. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that I do my best to spot and to keep myself from doing. But like, man, it is hard to keep those lines as as delineated as they need to be sometimes. Right. Well, and this is a conversation all on its own. Um. So I I am gonna tie it back to the original point in a second. But yeah. Uh. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely have gotten into those debates with some friends where it's kind of like, well, this is bad because this. And I'm like, all right, but that's not what that's not what they were trying to do. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like in, in order to, like, recognize why something doesn't work, you, you have to first see what it would have looked like if it worked. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that's not necessarily what you would have done. It's what they didn't do. <laughs> yeah. And you can it, there is a difference between I don't like this because it doesn't fit how I would have done it or what I wanted to see. And I don't like this because it was unsuccessful in what it was trying to do. Right. And one of those you can drill into usefully and one of them you can't. Right. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. To tie this all back to Cyberpunk 2077, um, and uh, more importantly, uh, unpacking, or yeah, uh, I feel like there there's kind of this need or desire to fix a game when I don't think there always necessarily needs to be one. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I think there's something fascinating about making peace with messy games. Um, Final Fantasy XII, fortunately enough, happens to be about making peace with a lot of disappointment in life. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost like the game matches the narrative. But like, you know, even... Ludonarrative even ignored- resonance? The silence is killing me. I got nothing to add. What do you want from me? <laughs> but, you know, I, I 100% agree. I think that, like, and one of the things I've noticed is that a lot more of this finality comes from the indie space. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I, that makes sense. Indie developers, indie productions are not beholden to corporate interests that need them to be churning out a profit and need to see growth year over year. Somebody like Cognac, Joaquin Sandberg, the guy who made Iconoclasts, mm-hmm. can take the, God, what, five years plus to... I almost want to say seven years. Might have, might, I, he, yeah, he was working I, on I, that game for a while. Yeah, like, he can take that time because he's not beholden to someone who is demanding that the finished product release now. People mm-hmm. like, you know, the 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 iconoclasts and tunics and stardew valleys of the world. Freedom Planet 2 took 7 years to yeah. come out. That's like, the most recent example in my mind. These games by virtue of the way that they are made and the conditions they are made under and the lack of conditions that are present in the AAA space they have time to percolate and to reach what we would might consider a more finished version mm-hmm. in a way that a game being produced by a studio working under, you know, EA or Blizzard doesn't. Like it it is it is fascinating that we end up with games coming from people with like infinitely less money and resources that by virtue of those production considerations end up being able to release more finished feeling games than companies with all the money in the world. <laughs> and I think that like, like you were saying, it's, it's very worth considering. Okay. I'm, am I going to open this can of worms again? That am depends. I going to do this? What, what are we opening? Am I about to be a fucking mass effect three defender again? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it, baby. You just said there's this need to fix games. Uh-huh. Maybe the most one of the most notorious instances of a game being, and I hope you can hear the air quotes, fixed of the like late 2000s, early 2010s was Mass Effect 3, which hyper quick rundown. I think we've talked about this on this very show before. We have. I the don't Mass remember Effect the details, series, though. So yeah, the their, their whole running shtick was 
decisions you make in one game carry over to the next. This was one of the first game series that like did that on a big scale. Uh, and so Mass Effect 3 it was coming down as like, wow, there's like two games worth of decision points that they're going to have to tie in together. And overall, they did a very good job. There's a lot of very cool ways that choices you made in previous games can come back and, and impact the way that the story plays out in the third game. But people lost their collective fucking gourd because the final outcome, the final ending of the game that you get really only came down to the last choice that you make. And people felt like that was a betrayal of the promise that Bioware was making throughout this series about the way that the story would play out. And I'm not here to tell anyone that the way they feel about a piece of media is invalid. However, the outrage about this, to my mind, was so dumb. (laughs) Because, like... Of course they're not going to have 87 quintillion different endings for all of the, take into account all of the different choices you could possibly have made over the, you know, depending on how long you take to play one of these games, maybe maybe 60, maybe a couple hundred hours of, of gameplay that you've put into the series. Of course there was going to have to be some shortcutting, and I thought, I thought, and maybe this makes me weird, but I thought that having letting you have a very clear you get to make the final choice moment was honestly a really good way to put a button on the story and not have you have to sit there and think about like, okay, what are all the things I did that led me to this point? But nobody else thought that way, apparently, because everyone got angry and Bioware put out a fucking like Lion King one and a half redux DLC that changed the way the whole ending played out. And I couldn't tell you the details because it's been a decade or God. Yeah. Close to a decade. Yeah. It's Uh, yeah. And I, I don't think I ever like played through it again to see the DLC ending. So like, I couldn't tell you if it's better or not. I just think the fact that they did it is stupid. Yeah. Because like, yeah, like, and again, I, I am not trying to poo poo anybody's opinions. Right. They are valid. The way that you engage with media is valid. I'm not I'm not here to shit on you if you are somebody who really didn't like the way that it handled that ending. I am. <laughs> Dylan is the bad cop in the room right yeah. now. Um, uh, no, I mean, like, again, um, Chris, Chris had the good point with the Final Fantasy 12 earlier. Like, it's all right to not like things or to like be disappointed with something like I'm not going to yeah. be like you shouldn't be disappointed with Final Fantasy 12 because the point is to be that's that's stupid yeah. <laughs> like no You're disappointed good that's what they wanted no like that's that's <laughs> never that's such a reductive way to look at things uh but I I guess I I think there's I feel like we have a tendency to toss things in the garbage way too quickly when it doesn't it's not perfect right yeah, or to start demanding that it be fixed by the people who just put out the game. Like, again, see the No Man's Sky thing. And again, I I appreciate that No Man's Sky did not have a great launch and was not, like, a, a supremely well-polished game at launch. But so much of the backlash to that was similarly, like, people had the impression that it was going to, that th- that game was going to be something that it wasn't at launch. And it was not people being mad at what the game was, it was them being mad at what it wasn't in a way that I found very off-putting in the immediate aftermath. And if 
If you want more details about that, I'm sure there's think pieces online. I was not. I, I don't. We don't have time to get deep into the No Man's Sky nonsense, too. Right. But I find that kind of stuff very frustrating. And I find I I'm with you. I, we're kind of circling the same point now. But I, I really wish that there was more of a willingness to meet games at where they are, warts and all, than expecting hot fixes and updates. Uh, to be as like a matter of course, and maybe that means that more people end up with more games they don't like. But like, I don't know. It's good to be, it's good to be exposed to media that you don't love. It's good to not only buy games that get nine point five on Metacritic. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Eat your, eat your vegetables. <laughs> so, Chris, when are you gonna play Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven? I don't know. I've been, like, <laughs> I would be lying if I told you I hadn't been considering it, given all of the social media buzz it's getting. Mm-hmm. And like, I have heard nothing but good things in the last week. <laughs> but <laughs> also, I don't know that I want to support. Like, there's plenty of other stuff that went into the making of that game, like Crunch and like, yeah, some pretty grody transphobic advertising and like, yeah, that was. I, I, that's something I that? haven't seen people relitigating in the last week and a half. I was about to say, I thought I saw something about maybe I'm getting my wires crossed with another game developer. Don't want to go too deep down that hole. <laughs> um, but I, I could have sworn I saw something about them dialing it back or like fixing it somehow. Yeah, uh, but I could be wrong. I don't I, follow this game super closely. <laughs> I haven't either. This is all and a lot of my opinion here is based on, you know, the launch two years ago. So, yeah, but I, I guess there. So I guess it's like, when is the game finished? I mean, I guess that's the thing, right? We we exist in, at a time now where like games are in a constant state of uh, updates and, you know, Eventually, it comes to a time where it it finishes. But honestly, I I think it's like you said earlier, like a game kind of your your read of a game depends on the time and place uh, you were at when you played it. So it's like if you didn't like Cyberpunk 2077, enjoyed the anime, but still have no desire to go back to that game. Who's to tell you that you didn't play Cyberpunk 2077? Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. Like, uh, for me personally, uh, fuck another Final Fantasy game. Final <laughs> Fantasy 15 does not resemble its launch version. Well, I mean, it does, but like they added so much shit. They added like multiple character side chapters. They made all the party members playable, whereas in the original version, there was only one playable character. They shortened the worst level in the game. Like, they did so much that would probably make it a more fun experience to revisit, but I played Final Fantasy XV. It's not the version of Final Fantasy XV, but I, like, I played it. Yeah, I, feel- I mean, hell, if, you're, if we're talking about when is a game finished, if you know nothing about fighting games, go try to buy Guilty Gear Exert on Steam. <laughs> Good luck figuring out which version to buy. <laughs> Like, this is not a new thing, and it is not a thing that is exclusive to games I don't like. There are plenty of games I really do like that... that hey, Chris. Like, hey, Chris. When did the last version of Street Fighter 2 come out? God, don't ask me these questions. I, I could just, not I tell you. I just want you. to hear what you think. Street Fighter 2? Yeah. 
Just guess. Just throw out the year. I, I'm going to throw out a guess. I'm going to say 2015, which is altogether too late. 2018, baby! Fuck. Fuck me. So anyway, <laughs> wait, wait, I guess... wait. No, no, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One sec. Um, That might technically be wrong that was the collection uh that okay. i was thinking of but there there was a version that got released on switch that we have to count as a new version because they added violent ken oh my god <laughs> which means that that is the last edition of street fighter 2 anyway i guess <laughs> we're, we're getting to wrap up point and the, yes. the button i'd like to leave you on is i really like it it was genuinely kind of heartwarming to me to see that tweet from the unpacking developer saying that the game as it exists is the game that they wanted it to be and that they don't intend to do more with it. I love that. I mm-hmm. wish I wish that everyone working in hell not just games but like creative media in general had the power to do that all the time right and i wish i i really treasure the games that get to come out that had the ability to be their most finished and most polished version for the people that bought it day one i think Mm -hmm. that that is something that has fallen by the wayside as dlc and updates and patches have become more and more a part of like how games are made and those things have their place and they are they are a net good. I'm not going to tell you that like people shouldn't be able to fix bugs that pop up after launch. That is a good thing. Uh, unless you're a speedrunner, I guess. But I don't know. It's it's an interesting like sea change that has happened yeah. uh, in in gaming as a whole. And so it makes it makes me happy when I get to see people that get to do it the way that they want to do it. And that's the whole story. Yeah, it's probably a good time to wrap up. All right. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this. We got a little navel gazy, but that is our way. That I uh, mean, Chris, this is a podcast ostensibly about video games, but we are artists. Like, I yeah. don't know how to tell you. <laughs> We're not going to avoid navel gazy. This is this is just the brand. Yeah, and I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. And I hope that that's the same for you. I hope you enjoyed listening to us. We will be back in two goddamn weeks. Two weeks. Set your fucking clock by it. <laughs> Um, your two week clock that you have hit the bell notification (laughs) god damn it anyway thank you for listening to this episode of backstage gaming I hope you enjoyed it if you want to know more about us or find out more about what we do or have any or reach out to us directly our website is bsgpod.com and uh God, it's been so long since I've done this what else do I usually do at this point oh I tell you that you can find us on on uh, Apple Podcasts on Spotify on the Google Play Store wherever you get your podcast your podcatcher of choice and if that podcatcher or service allows you to leave a rating or review we just ask that you maybe consider doing that and letting other people in your life uh, that you think would like our show know about it uh, word of mouth is gr- the best advertising and we don't pay for any other kind of advertising so you know that kind of stuff really goes a long way to helping us grow and we deserve that now that we're going to be back on our bullshit we will actually <laughs> earn that growth <laughs> hey Dylan what about social media yeah if you want to hit us up on social media um, you can find us on Twitter and on Facebook on Twitter our handle is at BSG underscore cast and um, yeah to help us grow the growth the growth that we have uh, tried to earn <laughs> and we'll be to- trying harder again Listen, Listen, uh, you can you can use that hashtag BSG pod, <laughs> but 
you can also use the hashtag VSGPod is back, baby! Yeah! yeah! <laughs> God. <laughs> God. Also. <laughs> All right. Also, a huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show with. Uh, if you dig his stuff, you can check out more of it on his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. You can also find him on Instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts or on Twitter where his handle is at brennan underscore French. You should also go check out our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. If you like that, you can check out the rest of his music at soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. Thank you, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network despite our our long truancy. Uh, If you like our show, you're sure to like some of theirs, so go check them out being retweeted at hpvg pod network on twitter and thank you to our patrons for their undying patience uh uh, if you want to support the show and i don't blame you if you want to give us a few weeks to make sure we're back for real you can check out (laughs) patreon.com slash bsg pod uh that is how we pay for things like website hosting fees and all the other expenses that are involved in keeping this show going we appreciate everyone who supports us there and we appreciate you if you decide to start doing so as well and that'll do it for us. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We swear to God. <laughs> Thanks. Cross take care, everybody. Uh, wait, I have a I have a closing yeah, comment. Please. Ultra Street Fighter 2, The Final Challengers, Don't is a 2D fighting game developed and published by Capcom for the Nintendo Switch. Don't fucking do this Released to me. worldwide on the 26th of May, 2017. It is an God. updated version of 1994's Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Let it die. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>